Well, that is just so true. There is just nothing, nothing that equals what Jesus Christ has done for us and in us. It's good to see you all here this morning. Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Just put your finger there. We're going to get there in a few moments, but I want you to have that ready to go. Growing up uh, as a kid in southern Indiana, one of the staples in our home was the Reader's Digest. As a matter of fact, it still is. Uh, It's a great little magazine that keeps you up on uh, all kinds of good things. But my favorite part was always the closing pages. It was where the Reader's Digest editors took a new novel or a story and they condensed it and summarized it into a small glimpse of what the story was like. Took out most of the details, but you clearly got the storyline straight. And it kind of inspired you to go on and learn more about it. There is one story that stands out in my mind from, from years ago, and it was the story called Exodus to a Hidden Valley. It was a summary of the book written by Eugene Morris about the J. Russell Morris missionary family who had served in Burma for years, and when the communists took over in 1965, they led a group of several thousand Lisu people out of Burma in a treacherous manner through jungle paths and over cliffs and mountains into what was called Hidden Valley on the border of India. It was a captivating story. In the years to come, I read the whole book, and in the years to come, I met some of the Morris family and was inspired by what their leadership was all about. But without that summary, I doubt that I would have known any of that story. Without that small clip, I don't know that I would have ever met any of that family, and my life is richer because of the story and because of what they did as a journey of faith. Now, the Reader's Digest editors only capitalized on something that God had been doing for a long time. I often hear people say, oh, I can't, I just can't hardly read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy. How do you just get through all of that stuff? Well, that's not just a problem for us. That was also a problem back in Jesus' day. Because it was, you, you, do you realize, folks, that there are 600 and deep, 613 detailed laws in the Old Testament? And then you add all the oral traditions to that, and you've got a real difficult thing of keeping track of. And God knew that we were incapable of doing that well, and so God gave us a good way to carry the details. And that good way is called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments summarizes the entire law. Not in the details, but it gives you the concepts. And if you can live them, you've got most of the details. But then comes the question, well, which is the most important of the ten? And that's the context of this passage of Scripture. Let's read. Verse 28, Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. That's the Sadducees and Jesus were debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a really good answer, he asked them, of all the commands, which is the most important? Now this sounds like a random conversation that just kind of happens on the street, but it isn't. This is a setup. This teacher of the law goes in to try and get Jesus to somehow say something inconsistent so they can say, aha, we got you. Now, if I had been in the crowd, I would not have expected Jesus to answer the way he does. I would have expected Jesus to say something like this. The greatest? Are you kidding me? The greatest? Why, all of God's commands are greatest. They're all equal. They're all important. What do you mean, which one's the greatest? That's what I would have expected. And and to a degree, there's a little bit of truth to that. Let me, let, me, let me give you something to chew on for a moment, all right? 
If you've been wandering through the land of Nod for the last several minutes, would you please come back to us? All right. I need to see the whites of your eyes right now because I don't want you to misquote what I'm about to say. All Scripture is equally true, but not all Scripture is equally relevant. Are you with me? All Scripture is equally true, but not all Scripture is equally relevant. And this is what I mean. For instance, in the book of Joshua, God records the commands and the guidelines for dispersing the property of the promised land to the 12 tribes after they had captured the promised land. Now, that is inspired. It is commands, and those were lived out among the people. But that's not relevant to me. Those verses in Joshua are just as true as John 3.16, but how they disperse the promised land does not apply to my life. Do you understand? It's all true, it's just not all equally relevant. And so Jesus was able to take all of the law and sum it up into a simple statement that would make the Reader's Digest editors marvel. Look in verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The first command Jesus takes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it's called the Shema, and it was named after the first Hebrew word in the sentence, hear. Devoted Jews recited this verse at the beginning and the end of every day. They opened up the synagogue services each Friday evening with this verse. It is a declaration of the unity of God and our obligation to love Him with our entire being. And for the Jewish worshiper, there was no greater obligation. But before the young lawyer or teacher can respond, Jesus adds this. He doesn't stop there. He says, but there's more. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he quotes from Leviticus 19.18. Because you see, once we realize that our greatest obligation is to love God, then comes the question, how do I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And we could say, well, it's being worshipful. It's being obedient. And that would certainly be true, that those are acts of love before God. But Jesus takes the question out of the way and gives us the answer before it's asked. He says, love your neighbor. Love for God is best seen in loving those who God loves, which is basically anyone we come in contact with. He says, if we keep these two commands, we will by necessity fulfill all of the crucial features of the entire Old Testament law. The answer is so profound that it makes me want to dig deeper. I want to know this God who says the most important thing in your life is to love God and to love others and to bring the two together. Now, doesn't that want to make you want to say, i got to know this more. i got to find out more about him to say that it's loving him and loving others and bringing the two together. Wow. That's why we like to say yes to love around here. Verse 32, well said, said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. 
Now, I've got to tell you, the one thing that appears in this verse that still sticks in my craw, and that is this statement from Jesus to the young man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Not far. Well, what happened? Did he ever find the kingdom? Did, did, did he ever make his way into the kingdom? Did he ever follow Jesus as the king and savior? What happened? And we're not told what happened. We don't know the extent to which this man took those words and acted upon them, but this I can tell you clearly this morning. Knowing the truth isn't the same thing as living the truth. Knowing the truth isn't equivalent to putting it into practice. Jesus gave him the truth, but he had yet to decide whether he would live it. This is always one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Um, you know, we're kind of back from our summer vacations and travels and that kind of thing. Everybody's beginning to settle back into routine. And our, our college students are back, Ivy Tech, IU, and other colleges that are represented here. And it's all, I got to tell you, it's always so good to have you guys back. You bring so much life and joy and energy to, to our worship and to our family here. And so it, this is a favorite Sunday of mine. It's also a favorite Sunday of mine because we're kind of gearing up for the fall, and I'm excited about what I think God is going to continue to do through this congregation. I, I'm looking forward to the future. I don't know about you, but in these days of economic upheaval and global unrest and hurricanes on the East Coast and earthquakes on the East Coast and scattered throughout our country, I, you know, it brings to mind this. I want to make sure I am being who God wants me to be. I want to make sure I'm doing what God wants me to do. I firmly believe that a personal relationship with the Lord is not only the foundation for celebrating joys, but for getting through the tough times and providing significance to daily living in light of where everything is today, I want to be in the focus of His Word. I want to be loving Him by loving others and bringing the two together. Now, the love that Jesus speaks of here, as we have so often seen, is not some kind of a feeling. It's not some kind of a spontaneous response to a tug at our heartstrings that's, that's exciting today and tomorrow is gone. This is a long-term decision. That's why Jesus says this is not about an emotion. This requires everything in your being, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. It's all of you, and that's the kind of love that we bring into this relationship. His words still echo through the corridors of history. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Those, those are heartbreaking words to me. Not far isn't home yet. Not far means you're close, but you're still away. Can, can I ask you a question? Do you know anybody who's not far from the kingdom? Well, let, let, let me rephrase it. How many do you know that are not far from the kingdom, but not home yet? So is it, how, how is it that we help them find their way home you see, loving your neighbor isn't just about attending to their physical needs or their emotional needs. That may be a starting point, but it's not an end in itself. The idea is to love them into the kingdom and to introduce them to the king so that through our genuine deeds of love, they will see Christ and want to follow him. It's not a show. It's not hypocrisy. It's genuine love for those because we want them to see the genuine lover of our souls, Jesus Christ. Now, we've called that evangelism in the past. Well, that's kind of a scary word. Um, we have visions today. When, whenever you talk about evangelism, people get visions in their mind of walking up a, a, a sidewalk to a, a, to a new house, knocking on a door, stranger comes to the door, and you invite them to come to church, and they slam the door in your face. 
And that's just, that's a scary proposition. I don't like that kind of a thing. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have a door slammed in my face because I'm trying to do something for somebody else. But I got to tell you, I understand the other side of the coin too. When I'm at home and some stranger walks up my sidewalk and knocks on my door, I'm really skeptical. I know most people don't come up my, my walk unless they really want something from me. And so I'm very guarded and I'm very skeptical when I open the door. Now, I don't slam the door in their face often. It just is, <laughs> it's just one of those things that, you know, you're, you're just guarded. So on both sides of that issue, that's a bad picture. That's not a working system. But building a relationship with people, that works. You know, we don't stand out on the street corner and point at somebody and holler sinner at them. We don't want to make people our projects. We want to love them as God loves them, which means building relationships. And if I love my neighbor as myself, it'll work because that's how I want my neighbor to love me, to treat me with that same kind of compassion. And when that happens, it builds a bear, it builds a bridge, it builds a relationship, and then you can talk. Some people say, I, I, I don't know what to say. You know, I, uh, I, I just don't know how to, how to word it. I can't answer all the tough questions. Don't worry about the tough questions right now. Um, you know, we, we are called to preach Christ and, if necessary, use words. So let the tough questions ride for a while. You won't even have an opportunity to give any answers unless you first have a relationship with them. So that's why around here we like to talk about good deeds, which leads to goodwill, and goodwill then in turn leads to good news. The mission of the church is not physical or emotional, but sometimes that's the best door to the spiritual. That's the way Jesus worked. He fed the hungry. He clothed the naked. He healed the, the lame and the sick, and he raised the dead. And through those means, he taught them love. St. Francis of Assisi said, it is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is also preaching. In the past few years, we've been striving to do more in this community, to be genuinely helpful, the good deeds part, and hopefully that has engendered goodwill, and I pray that that will open up the door for more dialogue and conversations to share the good news. Now, late last spring, uh, I told you that we had, as, as church had gotten a... Um, uh, a grant from the Lilly Foundation to help us improve our communications. It especially was designed to take a look at our electronic uh, media, uh, the website and such. But with the grant money, we were able to hire a, a firm called Fishhook. And they work with congregations throughout the state of Indiana and other places. And I know several of the churches where they've worked, and they do a great job. And, and it, not only just our website, but they, they came in and did a study on our whole communication style. How we sometimes over-communicate and sometimes we under-communicate or we don't do a very good job of communicating, period. And they have this proven track record of knowing what works and what doesn't work. And I know they've done great things with other congregations. And so our new website launches today. I would encourage you to get on the website and, and check it out this week. And next week we're going to tell you more about it. There, there'll be bugs and issues and problems and that kind of thing. Hang in there with us. We'll get it all worked out. But we're trying to make improvements. We're going to talk about other forms of communication next week that, that we need to be aware of. But one of the great benefits and concepts they brought to us was a concept of creating a logo that helps open the door to dialogue and conversation. Now, it's worked for other congregations, but I had never thought about that. I've never thought of a logo as being something to introduce a conversation. When Elsie and I moved here 30 years ago, uh, we, this was our logo. 
um, the one at the top there, the uh, oak leaves and the acorns, and uh, the old English words, uh, Sherwood Oaks Christian Church at the bottom. And then, uh, you know, into the decade of the 80s, we are uh, 90s and 80s and 90s, we moved to the more of the circular one there with the oak leaves in the center. And then um, in, in the 90s, we really stretched into the uh, one with the tree. I'm not sure that that's an actual oak tree, but it is a silhouette of a tree. And, and then uh, in this last decade, we've been using the other one uh, when we moved into this facility here and uh, tried to in, embrace that. We kind of changed that. I've, I've liked all of them through the years, but I got to tell you, in 30 years, nobody's ever said to me, let me talk to you about your logo. It just has never introduced any kind of conversation. By the way, do you know how we got the name Sherwood Oaks Christian Church? When the church relocated off of Walnut Street to where it was on Winslow Road, it was built on the edge of the Sherwood Oaks neighborhood. So they took the name of the neighborhood, thus Sherwood Oaks Christian Church, because it really is kind of confusing to people. Why is it called Sherwood Oaks? Because it was a part of that neighborhood. But that doesn't keep it from being difficult to follow. I mean, people get confused about it all the time. Sometimes people call it Sherwood Forest Christian Church. The, the one I get most of the time is Sherman Oaks Christian Church because of the city out in California, Sherman Oaks. And sometimes it's Oak Tree Christian Church. And then there are a few names we've been called I'm not going to mention in the sermon this morning. But what I'm trying to tell you is it, there's a confusion there. And, and, and it really doesn't offer much for conversation. But I hope that changes now. Now, some of you have been probably looking at my jar of beans up here on the, uh, on the platform here. That's, that's a jar of pinto beans. Um, when I grew up in southern Indiana, you know, we had a lot of beans and stuff like that. I still love a meal of beans and cornbread and fried potatoes and coleslaw and a big slab of apple pie afterwards. <sighs> Boy, I tell you, that is good stuff. But if you know anything about cooking beans, what do you have to do with the beans before you cook them? Soak them, that's right. Clean them the night before, put them in a, a bowl of water, and, and just watch them swell up overnight. And when you put them on then, they will cook tender and tasty, and, and it's always a good idea to, to soak the beans. That's a simple meal, but it's a profound truth, because ideas are often like dry beans. Unless you let them soak, they're hard and tasteless. So, when it comes to new ideas, the best thing that you and I can do is let them soak for a while before we draw some kind of a conclusion. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. Take a look at this logo, this new one that I'm going to show you here in a second, and let it soak for a while before you react. Are you ready? That was my reaction. <laughs> I looked at it the first time and I thought, what? Are, are you serious? What? And, and I didn't like it. Uh, and I was about ready to say, go back to the drawing board, you know, let's start again. This, I, I don't get this. I really like it now. Because I got to thinking about it and studying it and understanding it. And, and, and I really do like it now. And here's why. I want to tell you why I like it. So that as you soak on it, you can think about these opportunities as well. If, if, you, if you take away the, the wording at the bottom and just look at the logo part and you cover up the point, you've got the two initials of the church, S-O, Sherwood Oaks. And the S in the middle actually harkens back to about 15 years ago when that style of, of uh, print was used in our, in our old logo. But it looks so fresh and contemporary and new. That's what I like. It looks like something you would find on an iPad or an iPod app, doesn't it? I mean, it has that kind of a 
of a, of a punch to it. So I like that. And I love the shade of green. Uh, green's one of my favorite colors anyway, but this shade of green in particular just pops because this is the shade of green that you see after the dead of winter gives way to the resurgence of springtime life. We have an oak tree out in our front yard at home, and uh, you know it holds its leaves all winter long, and when the new growth begins to push off the old dead leaves, that's the very color of the leaves as they blossom out from the tree, and it, it reminds me that the life that God gives us is new and exciting. And if you look, it, it almost has a little bit of a three-dimensional look to it. That's not just a circle. That's, that's more of a, of a globe in there, which reminds me that this is God's world, not ours, a world that he loves desperately and who he wants to love this world through us. And so it's a reminder that this isn't for us. It is for the world around us. Most of all, I like it because it's a conversation bubble. Put that point back in and keep that point there because that conversation bubble says, I want to know more about this. You know, what does that mean? And it's our way of saying, as the slogan says, yes to love. This is what Sherwood Oaks is saying, yes to love. And I like that because it takes our internal I to you summary of our mission statement. It makes it more palatable to people outside these walls who can understand that we're saying yes to love two ways. Yes to loving God and yes to loving others. It is a conceptualization of this particular great commandment. And I love that that direction goes both outward and upward in our love. Now you may be thinking, what is the big deal? Who cares about a logo? To be honest, I don't need one. It, it, this really isn't for me, and it's not about me this morning. I already know more about this church than I care to know at times. But this is the most important thing I know. That Jesus Christ is the most vital person in my life. That what God has done for us through His Son is unequaled and unparalleled in history. That no one or no thing can compare to Jesus. And I don't need a logo or a website or for that matter a sermon to convince me of that. I learned that a long time ago and the truth has grown in me more steadfastly with every passing day. Honestly, I could care less that we ever had a logo. Un unless... Unless that very logo somehow opened up the opportunity for me to have a conversation with somebody I would not have otherwise, and in so doing be able to help them find their way into the kingdom by loving them with the love of the king. How could that happen? Well, consider this drama in three acts. Act one. Hi. Hi. Um, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. I've been seeing this all over town. Could you tell me what it is? I don't understand. Oh, it's some dumb thing my church is doing. <laughs> Thanks. Scene two. Hi. Hi! <laughs> um, can you explain this to me? I've been seeing it all over town. Oh, yes, I can. All right. First of all, I need to give you a, a Bible. This will be uh, the NIV version. You'll need that. And of course, and I have uh, some information. Take that one. And let me see. I've got a few brochures you're going to need to look at. And for you, I would suggest this one that's about being a sinner. Okay. Uh, let's see. I also, I also have a little journal for you. And wait, what's this? Oh. 
Uh, here you go, bookmark it. Oh, I got a coffee cup in here. I'm going to be your new best friend. Scene three. I wasn't finished. Yes, you were. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Hi. Hi. Um, can I ask you a question? Oh, sure. Could you tell me a little bit more about this? I've been seeing it everywhere around town, and I just don't understand what it is. It's really, uh, it's a new logo for our church, uh, Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Have you heard of them? I think so. Yeah, well, I, it's a really great idea, and it means a lot of things, and I think if I were to put it simply, it's about saying yes to love, yes to Jesus, yes to God, yes to other people. And uh, if you have a little time, I'd be happy to tell you more about it. Can you get a cup of coffee with me? Actually, that'd be really nice. I'm new in town and I've had the hardest time meeting people. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Maybe, just maybe, you'll have an opportunity for that third scenario where someone genuinely will ask the question and really be interested in learning more because you've done it in a way that is winsome. Why is all this important? Because I believe that the future of the kingdom rests upon us making every effort to reach as many as possible. There is a generation we are losing, folks. It is called the millennial generation, that group that was born between 1980 and 2000. They have now edged out the baby boomers to become the largest generation in American history. All of the students who have returned to IU and Ivy Tech and other colleges fit into this category. My, my daughters, my sons-in-law, and their friends fit into this category. And here's what I want you to know. Only 13%, only 13% of the millennial generation indicate that they have any kind of interest in religious activity. Three out of four say they are spiritual, but not religious. And here's the thing we need to really latch on to. The millennials don't see the American church making a significant impact in the world and are indifferent to who we are and what we believe and what we stand for. Now, I don't know about you, but I carry a burden in my heart for this generation these are my kids and the friends of theirs that I love. And I do not want to see this generation lost to the kingdom. Let me show you one more picture. If you think this grandfather can bear the thought of spending eternity without that precious child, then you don't understand love. If you're a parent, a grandparent, a friend, a brother or sister, and you can look at some member of your family or your close association and say, eh, it doesn't really matter. Let them stay just not far from the kingdom. Then I don't understand your faith, and I don't understand your walk with God. I desperately want the church to be relevant for Addie and her generation long after I'm gone. I pray that the church will be stronger and healthier and more committed in the future than it is now. I want us to live out the great commandment in such a way that the story of Christ simply becomes irresistible for every generation to come. I want us to be as courageous in leading others into the kingdom to know the king as the Morse family was courageous in leading the Lisu people to the hidden valley. 
And you may be asking, do I really expect a logo to do all that? No, of course not. But if it opens the door to one conversation that engages someone who is genuinely seeking the kingdom and the king himself, it'll be worth it. You see, I'm one of those guys that believes that you can't have too many tools in your toolbox. I may not use one wrench for months, but when I need that wrench, I need it badly. And I believe in my spiritual toolbox, I need every tool I can to help me love others better than I do today so that through loving them, they can see the love of God and want to come home to Him so that they won't be still not far from the kingdom. I like the way Charles Colson dedicated one of his first books, Loving God. To those who introduced me to the love of God, to those who demonstrated it, in their love for me and to those who challenged me to love him in return. That's how I want us to live. To engage in good deeds that will lead to goodwill that will in turn lead to the opportunity to share good news. That's why I want us to be a church that always says yes to love. That's why I want us to have yes to love stories and that's why I want us to do things that are extravagant and wonderful and beautiful that says to people, it's real this love of God and this Jesus, he'll, he'll change your life forever. You're not far from the kingdom, so come home.